Access is the Young Adults Ministry of Resurrection Life Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kareens. Tonight, uh, I have a standalone message that I, I want to give to you guys. It's, it's titled Dream to Destiny. Uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I, I kind of have a common theme that I always come back to specifically with this age group, and that is destiny, uh, purpose, and calling. You hear me speak about it a lot. Why do I speak about it a lot? One reason is I believe that that's one of the things that I'm called to do by God. I'm, I, I believe that I'm called to help people in your generation, specifically in my generation, to chase after and figure out what their destinies in God are. Because the reality is, is that God has a destiny and a plan and a purpose for every single one of you in this life. And every single one of you in this room is no exception. And so tonight, I'm going to talk about uh, a story. We're going to use Joseph's story from, from the Bible out of the Genesis account. And actually, what, uh, how I kind of came across this is there's a, there's a man that I really look up to. I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple times. His name's Pastor Robert Morris. Uh, he's a pastor at Gateway Church down in Texas. And he wrote a book called Dream to Destiny. So my message title is not uh, real creative, if you know what I'm saying. But um, there's 10 points that he discusses in this book as it relates to the story of Joseph. And I'm going to get through eight tonight. How many of you know that when I have a one-point message, I can still go for 45 minutes, no problem? Come on, somebody, right? So we need prayer because I got eight points tonight, and I'm going to get through them in 45 minutes, God willing. And so there's, there's 10 points from the story of Joseph, and actually what they are, they're not points. They're actually 10 tests that we see Joseph take and go through in between the time he receives the dream that God gives him and then when he enters into his destiny. Now, it's really interesting because Joseph received his God-given dream at the age of 17, and then he entered into his destiny. He started his destiny or began his destiny at the age of 30. Why is that significant? Because I'm looking at a whole bunch of people that are between the age of 17 and 30. And every single one of us in this room, myself included, must pass the eight tests that I'm going to be telling you about tonight if you want to fulfill your destiny. Catch it. If you want to fulfill. Listen, you can still enter into your destiny and fail some of these tests. Listen to me. As I put this message together, I was convicted by one of these tests in particular that the Lord just kind of highlighted something in my life that I am not currently, that I, that I failed at and that I need to pass this test. And before I get started, I wanna tell you something. God is so good that even if you fail at one of these tests that I'm gonna tell you about tonight, he's gonna give you another opportunity. He'll just keep giving you opportunity after opportunity to pass the test and pass the test and pass the test. And let me encourage you too because, listen, I know that 18 to 30, right, and, and, and we're gonna talk about Joseph. He took these tests. These tests continue on after you're 30 as well, okay? So is there somebody here, I wanna give this book away, is there somebody here who it happens to be your birthday tonight? Long shot. Anybody? Okay, new visitor. Raise your hand up. All right, we have a bunch. Okay. 
the first guy I saw was right there in the gray shirt. Yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this down. Would you uh, take this back to him? Enjoy that book, but let's get started. All right, so Genesis 37, starting in verse two, it says this. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. Jump to verse five. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And then jump ahead a few chapters to chapter 41, verse 46 says this. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service. Now catch that word, because we're gonna talk about that later on. When he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, Again, from the time he was 17 to 30, he had a whole bunch of tests that he had to pass, and there were some that he failed, but then he got it right later on. I mean, you know, I need prayer to get eight points done in 45 minutes. Let's pray. You can do it. All right. I love it. I love it. Father, thank you that you can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Here we go. First test that we all have to pass if we want to fulfill our destiny is the pride test. We will never fulfill the destiny that God has planned for our life unless we pass this test. You may get started into your destiny and you can even enter into your destiny, but you'll never fulfill your destiny unless you pass this test. And this was the first test that Joseph actually had to take. So Joseph gets the dream at 17 and what did the scripture that I just read say? It said, Joseph got the dream, and then he went and told his older brothers about the dream. He went bragging about the dream to his brothers, who apparently already hated him, because apparently after he told them what his dream was, which was, you will one day bow down to me, I'm the man, you're not, they hated him all the more. So apparently they already hated him. My opinion is, is that Joseph was a conceited, very cocky, self-assured young man. Anybody been like that before? I know, I'm in that category. So the interesting thing is that Joseph failed this test, but he gets it right later. But because he failed this test, something really bad happens to him. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever bragged about your destiny? Have you ever bragged to someone else about what you believe God's dream and destiny for your life, your plans and your purposes and your callings are. Have you ever bragged about it to someone? I think many of us probably have. And we've failed this test. You see, he goes to his brothers and they end up throwing him into a, a pit. But I remember being in fourth grade, um, Barry. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a guy that showed up tonight. I haven't seen him in years. His name is Lynn Thomas. He's sitting in in the back of the room over on the couches, those two um, wiser men back there with, you know, it's your grays that give it away. You're just wise. And, uh, but when I was a little kid, fourth and fifth grade, Lynn Thomas, I played football with his son, and Lynn used to take me and my brother to the Silverdome back in the day when they had the high school football championships there. Now, when I was in fourth grade, this is what I used to tell everybody, and if Lynn... You could verify this. I was a very self-assured, confident young man. 
I thought I had it going on. And what I used to tell people in the fourth grade, by the way, this is after playing one season of football. I started in fourth grade. Here's what I used to tell people. I'm going to win the Heisman Trophy, and I'm going to make it to the NFL. That's my destiny. It's my dream. I used to brag all the time about my dream. And then in sixth grade, I'll never forget it, a girl named Allison Marsh comes up to me at Valleywood Middle School over in beautiful Kentwood, Michigan, and, and in the middle, in between classes, she comes up to me, and, and to this day, it sticks with me. Here's what she said to me. She says, you are the most conceited person that I've ever met. <laughs> and I said, thank you. <laughs> and then I went home later that day, walked into the kitchen, and I said, mom, what does conceited mean? <laughs> she told me, and I'm telling you, from that day forward, I was different. I was extremely careful about what came out of my mouth. Here's the reality. If you can't handle the dream, you'll never handle the destiny. We have to pass the pride test. Second test that we need to pass is the pit test. Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit because Joseph was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph knew his brothers hated him, right? And he, yet he gets this dream, comes to him and says, you're going to bow down to me one day. How do you feel about that? They said, this is how we feel about that. Shoo. Threw him into a pit. Anybody ever got yourself into a pit? And by the way, the pit test is not when someone else gets you into a pit. It's when your stupidity and your own stupid choices got you into a pit. That's not funny to you. Every one of us has been in one of these pits before. I know I have. You guys have heard my story. I, I, all my bad choices led me into jail. I've, I've been in jail. I've been in, in, in pits before. I've been in relational pits because of my choices, not because of what someone else did to me, but because of what I did. I was in a relational pit with my wife. We were on the path to divorce, and then Jesus stepped in, saved our marriage. But that's just the thing. There is no pit. Have you ever, I mean, you've been in a pit relationally, financially, maybe academically, at work. There's all sorts of pits we can fall into, but there is no pit that you can get yourself into that God cannot get you out of. Amen. Joseph passed the pit test, and God got him out of the pit test. But what is the pit test? The pit test is when you learn, you learn to be successful in private before you ever have success in public. It's when you learn to be successful with God in your private time before he ever does anything to make you succeed publicly. Jesus was very clear that whatever you do in secret, God will reward openly. We have to pass the pit test. Third test is this, the palace test. And what this one is, uh, th this is when you learn to be faithful with someone else's possessions. So Joseph gets thrown in the pit. He gets sold. His brothers sell him for like 20 pieces of silver into slavery. Then he gets brought into Egypt, and he gets sold to this guy named Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's captains. And then he goes into Potiphar's house. And mind you, Joseph was a slave, owned nothing, had zero possessions. But because he was so faithful with Potiphar's possessions, Potiphar said, you're going to be in charge of 
all of my stuff in my household. And by the way, we're going to see in a little bit that he was even... He was even faithful with Potiphar's most precious possession, his wife. Jesus says it this way. In Luke chapter 16, verse 12, he says, And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own. I remember after after college, and I was I was getting ready to go play in the NFL, and so I'm 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 training in Chicago, and so when I was when I was in college, in my last two years of summers, I I worked at Gander Mountain. How, how many been to Gander Mountain? In here? Familiar, amazing store. I'm an outdoorsman. I had a, a vest on earlier. Two people said, "Wow, you look like you're going hunting." Well, no, I'm not. I'm preaching, so <laughs> it's just part of who I am. It's in my DNA. But I worked there, and I assembled the most bad-to-the-bone tackle box anybody's ever seen. I mean, I had the biggest tackle box in the store, and when all the lures would go on clearance, I was cleaning the house. I built up the biggest, baddest tackle box. I loved to fish. And when I left to move to Chicago to train... I left my entire tackle box and even some of my fishing poles with one of my college roommates. And I said, here, please feel free to use this stuff, but take care of it, please. So when I get back, I can use it. I came back, nothing was left. Nothing was left. Now, was my response to give him more? Hey, let me go buy you some more lures because I trust him. No, uh uh-uh. I'm never gonna give him another lure in his life. We'll still be friends, but I ain't, I ain't playing that game with him. When you're faithful with what, else, what is someone else's possessions, God will give you more, but you have to pass the palace test. Are you faithful with what is not yours? Because if you are, God can trust you, and if God can trust you, he can give you more. Amen? Number four is this, the purity test. Joseph was so faithful with Potiphar's possessions, again, that he was faithful with Potiphar's most prized possession, which is his wife. You see, what happened is Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph. The Bible says he was actually a good-looking guy. And she took notice, and she tried to seduce him and get Joseph to sleep with her. Joseph says no, and he passed the purity test with flying colors. But I believe that if Joseph did not pass this test, I don't know that he ever enters into or fulfills his God-given dream and destiny on his life. And please do not mistake what I am saying. Can you make a mistake and recover from it? Yes, you can. There is no mistake that you could ever make that God doesn't forgive and that you cannot recover from. But if we're being honest with each other, I think that we all probably know somebody who has made a huge mistake that has never recovered. And they've spent the rest of their lives wallowing kind of in the mud, if you will, because they're never able to fully get free from it. I believe that if Joseph fails this one, I don't know that he, he fulfills his destiny. And this is something that we all are gonna have to pass, no matter 
what your background is, no matter what you've done previous to this night. We all have to pass the purity test. I met with um, a young man who had sent me a text and uh, he's engaged to be married. And this is just the other week. Got the text and said, hey, could I meet with you? And I said, absolutely. And, and uh, he said, the struggle is real. <laughs> Did you hear me say that he's engaged to be married? Right? The struggle is real. I knew exactly what he was talking about. I said, absolutely, let's connect, let's meet, let's sit down. So we sat down and, and started talking. And, and this young man just openly told me how much he's attracted to his fiance, and man, this struggle is real. I'm, I'm just really having a hard time staying pure, and I just looked at him, and I had nothing else to say but this, because he has never slept with somebody, and she has never slept with somebody. They are both virgins. They've both been able to remain pure, and if you know my story, I wasn't. So when I see that and I hear that, I think, good for you. That is so amazing. And here is, is what I ended up saying to him. I could only say one thing. One thing just kept coming through my head and through my head and through my head. And I just got to the end and I said, you're going to make it. <laughs> you got six months, man. You're going to make it. I believe you're going to make it. Do you believe you're going to make it? And then I made him say it out loud. Say it with me. You're gonna, I'm going to make it. And he started saying, yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Yeah, don't you dare quit now. All these years that you've built up, listen, it is so easy for people who get engaged to just say, you know, well, it doesn't really matter. Does a piece of paper really matter? No. The piece of paper doesn't matter, but God's blessing does. Why is it so important to pass the purity test? Let me give you some really, really, really good advice. And maybe you've never heard it broken down this way before. But in order to have premarital sex, you have to sneak around to make it happen. In other words, you've never walked into your parents' house and had your parents say, hey, what are y'all doing tonight? And you said, oh, we're going to have sex. And they say, oh, well, great, God bless you, have fun. That's never happened because you have to sneak around to do it. In other words, you have to lie and then you have to cover up your lies with more lies. And let me tell you something about sneaking around to having sex. There is an adrenaline rush that comes along with it. There is a high that comes along with it. And here's what happens. You become addicted to how it feels when you sneak around to have sex. And then you start saying, well, I think I'm in love. I believe that I'm in love. And you associate that feeling, that adrenaline, that rush that you get, you associate that with love. And then you say, well, I fall in love. And then let's say you get married to that person. Well, what happens when you get married is this you no longer have to sneak around to have sex. And then maybe sometime down the line, years go by, and now your spouse is at work. They begin to flirt with someone else. 
Someone else flirts with them, and then the next thing you know, they get a rush from it. That feeling comes back. Then they associate that feeling with, oh, I've got feelings for this person, and then they start sleeping around. They start having sneak around sex, and here's what happens. They associate that sneak around sex with this other person as love. They feel the same way with that new person that they felt with you when you guys were sneaking around having sex. Then here's what happens. Divorce. After divorce, they get married to the person that they've been having sneak around sex with, and then can anybody tell me what happens then? They don't have to sneak around anymore. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? And that started in your, your, in your early adult years. And then it becomes a vicious cycle. And this is my personal opinion. The woman at the well. Do you all know about the woman at the well? That Jesus comes to this woman at the well and, and, and he says, hey, why don't you go, go back to town and bring your husband. I want to talk to your husband. She goes, I'm not married. He says, yeah, I know you've been married five times. And the guy that you're shacked up with now, he's not even your husband. It's my opinion that it is absolutely possible that she struggled with this. I know people that have been divorced too three, four, and five times because they developed an ungodly habit in their early adult years. And by the way, that habit cannot be satisfied in a godly manner. That adrenaline rush, and by the way, it's my opinion too, this is why people get addicted to drugs many times. There's a high that comes along with the high <laughs> of sneaking around. And I want to leave you with some hope. Because here's the reality. Many of us in this room have failed this test. I'm one of them. And you may look at me and say, well, it all worked out okay for you, Pastor Kurt. No, don't, 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 don't believe that lie. Please. You have no idea what I've gone through to get healed of that. And what I continue, but God is so good that he can heal it. Amen. And you, every single one of you who has failed this test can choose tonight to get it right. Because I promise you one thing, you will have more opportunities to pass this test. And you can do it. And God will honor that. And he will bless your socks off if you pass it. Joseph passed this test. We have to pass the purity test. Number five is this, the prison test. This is when you do the right thing and suffer the wrong consequences. Joseph did not sleep with Potiphar's wife. And she got so upset about it. She grabs onto his coat, rips off a piece. She starts crying. Wolf says, he tried to rape me. These guys come in, and then Potiphar gets told about it. They have Joseph sent to prison for it. 
You know, there's, a, there's another story in the Bible about two guys named Paul and Silas. It's in Acts chapter 16. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. And here's what happens. They're out ministering, and they've got this gal who's filled with a demonic spirit. And she keeps making these outbursts and these outbursts day after day. And finally, Paul gets tired of it. He turns around to this woman and he speaks to the spirit inside of the woman. Notice he did not speak to the woman. He spoke to the spirit inside of the woman and says, come out right now. So cast the spirit out. And these guys that owned this girl who was performing all sorts of magic and things knew that they weren't going to make any more money because they owned this, this girl and she was making them money. So they had Paul and Silas flogged, stripped butt naked, beaten, and then thrown into prison. And so how do you handle it when you're doing nothing but good? You've done something right. How do we handle it as Christians and as followers of Jesus when you do something right yet suffer the wrong consequence? Used to happen all the time in sports, right? Anybody played sports? You would go off for the summertime. I know we would do this, and we were, we were, we were, supposed to be staying in shape and you gotta do this because when you come back into camp, they're gonna test you in gassers and things and if you don't make the time, guess what happens? Even if the rest of the team makes the time that they're supposed to make and one person on the team doesn't make it, what happens? The whole team, yep, laps, get going right now and you're like, hold on a second. No, man, I put in the work. I did everything right. Why am I suffering? The wrong consequence. These guys get thrown into prison. So does, so does Joseph. But Paul and Silas are in prison. And how did they react? You want to know how they reacted? Midnight comes around. They start praying and singing to God. While everyone around them is listening, including the head jailer. God responds with an earthquake and all of the prison doors fly open. All the prisoners are released, including Paul and Silas. The jailer was so terrified, he draws his sword to kill himself. Paul shouts out, no, don't do that. We're all still here. Don't kill yourself. We're here. Guy comes in trembling, falls down and says, I got to know this God of yours. I have to know this God of yours because of how they responded when they were sent into prison for something that they didn't do. Listen, it is so easy to act like Jesus. It is hard to react like Jesus. How are we doing with that? That's all I'm saying. How are we reacting when someone does us wrong? We have to pass the prison test. The sixth one is this, the prosperity test. Some of you guys might be thinking, yeah, I'll pass that one when I get some, when I get some money. But when, while in prison, two of Pharaoh's people, his chief cupbearer and his baker, do something to tick off the Pharaoh. They get thrown into prison with Joseph, right? They have these dreams. Joseph is the head of the prison now because he was so faithful in there too that the warden said, yep, I want you to oversee everything in the prison. And these two guys have dreams one night and they wake up the next morning and Joseph comes over to them and says, man, why the long faces? What's up with you guys? And they said, we have these dreams, but we don't have an interpretation for them. We have no idea what these dreams mean. And so Joseph says, well, good 
good for you because I know that God is in the business of dreams. So why don't you tell me what your dreams are and let's see if God gives me the interpretation. So in verse 9 of chapter 40, this is what he says. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He says to him, in my dream, I saw a vine right in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, I put the cup into his hand. This is what it means, Joseph says. The three branches are for three days, and within three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head up and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all this goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh, please, and get me out of this prison because I was forcibly carried off from my home. And even here, I've done nothing to, to deserve to be put into this prison or into this dungeon. Right? So then verse 16, this is awesome. The chief baker sees that Joseph had given such a favorable interpretation to the cupbearer. He says to Joseph, I too had a dream. I had one too. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph says. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head off and impale your body on a pole, and the birds are gonna eat your flesh. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That is hilarious. My man was like, do me, do me. My turn. Yep, you're dead where you're standing. You got three days and you're gonna be decapitated. That's funny. I love the Bible. I don't. That is hilarious. I read this the other night at home, did I not, honey? And I literally did a laugh out loud and I couldn't stop laughing. She's like, what is it? I shared the story with Lindsay. I was laughing for five minutes straight. So funny. I could, oh, I wish I was there. You know, it was one of those moments. <laughs> Do me. <laughs> You're dead, sir. <laughs> oh, that sucks. But it's awesome at the same time. Oh. <sighs> so the cupbearer gets his job back. The other guy doesn't. And he was a baker. <laughs> like, what did he bake that was so bad? To get decapitated, I have questions for God in heaven, you know? <laughs> oh, Jesus. So good. Whew. So the cupbearer gets his job back, right? And he doesn't tell Pharaoh anything about Joseph, and two years go by. And Pharaoh has a dream, right? Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it, so the cupbearer then remembers Joseph, says, hey, there's a guy in prison, let's bring him. And so Joseph comes up before Pharaoh, Pharaoh gives him the dream, and then Joseph interprets it. He says, listen, your dream is this, there's going to be seven years of prosperity, and if you save enough during those seven years of prosperity that you're going to have, there's going to be, it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And if you save enough in the prosperous seven years, You'll have enough to feed your entire country, Pharaoh, and possibly more. Pharaoh's so impressed by Joseph that he says, awesome, I'm gonna put you in second command only to me over all of Egypt. God brought Joseph out of the prison back into the palace, and not only into the palace, but second in command over the most powerful country in the world at the time, right? 
Joseph was prospering and he was successful. And what did he do? He saved enough during the prosperous seven years that, listen to me, he fed the whole world during the seven-year famine that followed it because he was so good with saving money, food, things of that nature. And if you're thinking, you know, I'll pass that because I know what it's like to be your age. And I remember how I used to think. And I know how some people think towards church. I remember coming here and I thought that when, you know, it was time to give, that it was just going towards, I don't know, their lifestyle or something of that nature. But I promise you ministry lifestyle <laughs> Why are you laughing, honey? <laughs> Don't laugh at me. But listen to me. I know what the mentality might, might be. And I know that you might also be thinking, well, you know what? When I get some, when I am prosperous, when I am successful, then I'll start to be generous. No, you won't. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I hope you know that. You will not. How do I know? Because my Savior had something to say about it. He says this in Luke 16.10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. What is he saying? If you'll cheat God now, you'll cheat him then. That's really what Jesus is saying. And as a follower of Jesus, we either come under his full lordship and I know there's a process that takes place from when you decide to follow Jesus and then it was a process for me before I realized what he said in scripture and what his will is for, for my, my, my family's life and my finances and things of that nature. And I understand that it's a process and I know that you're all in a process. And I would encourage every single one of you to do your own searching on that to do your own searching and come to your own conclusion on it. See what Jesus has to say. All I know is this. Following Jesus is a whole lot more than a tithe. <laughs> he wants everything. And it's all good to give him everything and to trust him with your whole life, not just 10% of it. And here's the truth. Can I just say something to you guys? Uh, you, whether you know it or not, are the future of the church because you are the church. The church is not this building. The church is not a, pl a place where people gather. No, no, no. Listen to me. Christ in you is the hope of the world. Christ in you is the hope of glory is what Scripture says. What I think that means is Christ in you is the hope of the world. You've heard me say it this way. I fully believe 100% that the local church mobilized, and that's resources and generosity and all of it together. The local church mobilized is the hope of the world. Who's the church? Take your finger and point right at yourself. But listen to me, you are the hope 
of the world because Christ is in you. And here's what's going to happen. As you get older, if you don't start passing this test now, you will not pass it later. Not because I said it, but because Jesus said it. If you'll pass it now, you'll get it right when more is on the way. And now listen to me. There's going to come a time when you have children. And then your children, you're going to pass on the baton one day to your children. And your children are then going to become the hope of the world. I'm convinced that your generation is going to do more than any other generation that's preceded it. That's why I'm here. I believe I'm supposed to pour into that and just continue to light a fire on that. But listen to me. How you handle your resources towards the church will determine whether the church continues to thrive or to dive. And what do you want to hand off to your children? Something better. I know that. Something better than when it was handed off to you. I know that. And listen, the church is still the epicenter of resources that get fueled to the entire ends of the earth. And they're the best at it. The local church mobilized is the hope of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have to pass the prosperity test. Seven. How am I doing on time, y'all? You liking this? All right, number seven. It's the pardon test. I'm not going to spend much time on this because this is the forgiveness test, and I think you guys have just been pummeled with forgiveness over the last few weeks. During Galatians, uh, and, and when we did the, the sixth installment of it, Galatians 6.1 says this, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments to yourself. And last week, Bernie Blaukamp came with the freedom protocol message, right? And what did he talk about? He talked about his amazing wife, Kim Blaukamp, and the story about her dad. When he told that story to me, I said, you gotta share it. The story about the dad who tried to do everything in his power to ruin that relationship, and then he gets out of the car and storms off, and she gets out, runs after her dad, throws her arms around him and says, Dad, there is nothing you can do to make me not love you. Forgiveness. If we can't freely forgive others, no strings attached will never fulfill our destiny. I promise you that. I promise you that. Joseph, in the time of famine, by the way, all his brothers come to Egypt because they're starving to death. And his brothers come to him, and guess what? Joseph didn't have any critical comments. And you know, have you ever heard this saying? What was meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph said it. Joseph said that. He says it to his brothers. When they realize who he is, he says, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I love you. And he forgivingly restored them into a relationship. We have to pass the pardon test or the forgiveness test if we're going to fulfill our destiny. And then the eighth one is this, eighth and final one, is the purpose test. God had a purpose for Joseph's life just like he has a purpose for yours. I'm going to ask you a question. 
Do you think that Joseph's purpose was to be second in command over all of Egypt? I don't. I, I personally don't think that. I think that his purpose was to serve. And then God elevated him to that position of second in command. Joseph served in the pit, in the prison cell. He was serving, serving, helping people with their dreams, serving, serving. He served in Potiphar's house, serving, serving, serving. And then, you remember what verse 40, or excuse me, Genesis uh, 41 says? It said this, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the, let's do it again. Joseph was 30. My man just like did this to himself because he was the only one that said it. I said, let's do it again, but I got it. That's it. Oh, okay. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I believe that Joseph's purpose was to serve. I believe that our purpose is to serve others in this lifetime and allow God and trust God to bring us into our destiny. Yeah, I know, that was better than their, yeah. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Teasing you guys. Do you know of anybody else that came to this place that served? You know anybody else that came not to be served but to serve and become a ransom for many? You know anybody else that entered into their destiny at the age of 30? And he had to pass all of these tests. You know how Joseph passed these tests and then God exalted him to second in command? Somebody else get exalted to the right hand of God after serving his whole life? I promise you, if you'll serve each other, if you'll serve humanity, wherever it is that you're at right now, start there. Start right there and trust God to get you to where he knows he wants you to be because he knows you better than you know you. And he knows your destiny better than you know it because you don't know it. Maybe you have a dream. And here's the thing, when I, when I was born again, maybe you know my story, I've shared it here. All I know is that in my truck, I knew that my purpose on, in this lifetime was gonna be spent preaching and teaching the word of God. I knew it, I told my wife, the moment it happened, what did I say? I know what I'm supposed to do. 
I had no idea how it was going to happen. I had no idea when it was going to happen. I had no idea where it was going to happen. All I know is this, is that God is really, 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 really good at giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to just take the next step. Have you ever, (laughs) let me say it this way. I get asked this all the time. Can I know the destiny that God has for my life? Yes. Can I know what God is actually calling me to do in this lifetime? Yes. Like, when will I know it? After you've done it. The Bible says that your word is a lamp to my feet. And the Bible also says that God is directing our steps. God's directing our steps. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Doesn't say that it's a bright spotlight that shows all things and this, a lamp to my feet, you can only see the next step. Why am I roboting this? I don't know. It's the Michael Jackson in me. That dude was like, what? I haven't heard a thing until you said that. You guys hear me? I don't know what your destiny is. I don't know what your dream is. I know that there is one, and I know that God is absolutely amazing at getting you there if you'll just be faithful to take the next step. That's it. Trust God with the rest. Amen? Father, thank you so much for this amazing word, God. I thank you that you continue to give us opportunities to pass these tests. Holy Spirit, help us to do it. Equip us, empower us, strengthen us to pass every single test that you give us. We're thankful that you never tempt us, Lord, but we're also thankful that you do test us and you're testing our character and we just don't wanna focus on what you're doing for us. God, help us to focus and to see what you're doing in us in the midst of the process between dream to destiny. We're so thankful for you, God. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Real quick, I wanna say something before Nick wraps us up. If you're here and... you're ready to to go all in with Jesus Christ and to start living for him, I wanna encourage you to make that decision tonight. And it's real simple. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that he's everything that you've ever wanted. And here's what I think. No, here's what I know. If you'll search your heart, you'll know that's true. that he died for you and that he's got a destiny and a plan for you that's better than what you have planned for your own life. You can make that decision tonight. We love you guys. So proud of you. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to join us live, we meet every Thursday night at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Res Life in Granville, Michigan. Or you can watch us online at reslife.org slash live. You can also keep in touch with the Access Ministry on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AccessRLC.